Hi everyone, welcome to SAMA. SAMA is an abbreviation for Spooky Ask Me Anything, where we have a guest expert on to talk about the area of expertise. Now today we're lucky to have two experts on board. Um, uh, we've got uh, Clive DeCarl and we have Holly Page. Their talk is about food for consciousness, happiness and health. 80% of the toxins in our bodies are self-inflicted from our food choices. Holly and Clive will discuss healthy foods and how to get them. Clive DeCarl has dedicated himself to over 20 years to the pursuit of understanding mental and physical performance optimization, providing cutting-edge nutritional consultancy and enabling thousands of clients to reverse the signs of illness and regain optimum health. Holly Page is the author of a groundbreaking book, Food for Consciousness is the UK's leading writer and teacher on food and its effects on consciousness and happiness, performance and resilience. So welcome both you Clive and Holly to our summer show. Um, I'll leave you two to um, discuss health matters relating to food. So over to you Clive and Holly. Well thank you very much. Um, Holly is, as you mentioned, is the author of the book Food for Consciousness and uh, it would be great actually to, um, I, I'd very much like Holly to start just talking about her work because there's really nobody else doing what she's doing and you know I think we can all agree that one of the things we all want to be is happy and Holly really is the master at explaining how food makes us happy. Well um, since we left our biological habitat in tropical forests thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago um, as humans, we've really been in survival mode, and we've been very, very good at that because humans are very adaptable species. But there's been a price to pay, and um, the great thing now is that we don't have to live so much in survival mode. In spite of all the challenges that basis and toxicity in the environment, the simple fact is we can move food around the world, and we have a lot more knowledge about how to nourish ourselves. We've kind of regained old knowledge. So um, in order, the neural system, the human neural system, um, is designed to be connected to the larger nature and you know, to get a great sense of well-being from that. But in order to do that, it needs to be rebuilt to something nearer its optimal potential. So this, this is it's quite a topic and I've made it as succinct as I can in my book. But in a few minutes, how I describe it is that the neural system after water is made mainly of fat and in order to build it to its full spec we need undamaged, we need the full range of essential but undamaged fatty acids which means unprocessed and unheated above biological temperature. And this is where the, so the raw food thing comes in. Um, we also need, um, our neurotransmitters are mainly made of amino acids and undamaged, the full variety of essential amino acids, undamaged, which means unheated above biological temperature. And um, of course we need uh, all the minerals that we need and we need carbohydrates in a form that's ideal, the ideal fuel for our bodies, which isn't starches. And you know, from natural sources, fruit and vegetables and so forth. And um, there's, uh, this, in, our, in our natural diet, there's a massive, um, a massive array of 
biochemicals, often called flavonoids, um, which um, most of which we probably don't understand, but one of the things we do understand is they include monoamine oxidase inhibitors, which keep our neurotransmitter levels up. So actually natural antidepressants, our natural diet is antidepressant and it's anti degenerative disease is probably the safest way to put it and if you look at you know in the sort of more of the recommendations for preventing um, degenerative disease it's really all in the in the you know the genuinely natural human diet now I mean the raw food thing has been really taking off you know over the last couple of decades and so has has over plant-based diets but what I think really needs to be um, what those movements need help with is making sure that, um, that people get the full range of nutrients because eating out of a supermarket Market is not the same as eating out the forest where you've got all this insect material and soil material and all this kind of all these other factors that you get in nature so that's kind of my mission is to help help people already clocking you know um sort of the plant-based diet or the raw diet make sure they get all the nutrition they need but also um showing people who've not seen that connection you know what what that actually means and in a very sort of positively minded way um just seeing the, sim the simple science of it, that if you heat food above biological temperature, it changes it chemically and that changes our build and it changes our ability to connect to the, the, you know, the larger forces of nature, which is what we really need to feel at our best. Does this make sense? It sounds quite, quite intriguing. So you're actually killing the food by heating it up. Yeah, yeah, you're changing it chemically, and that changes the build of the neural system, and it changes the, neuro, the, the levels of neurotransmitters. I mean, for me, this is, I'm talking great generalities, and I make it very simplistic, because that's, you know, that's what I, how I, make, I want people to see the bigger picture. So, um, yeah, you, so because, I mean, it's very clever, it was a very clever strategy of humans to learn to heat foods, um, because when we, because it means that we can eat foods that would normally be toxic to us, because heating will break down some of those toxins. For example, simple example, um, some vegetables that um, have goitrogens in them, when you heat them, um, those goitrogens will break down. And if you ate all those goitrogens, you would um, eventually your thyroid gland wouldn't work properly. So humans, you know, in every area of the world, humans have found their way of dealing with the foods that are available to them. Um, but, you know, look at how um, cultures were eating, you know, different people, traditional people were living until the roads came. They did still all eat a huge percentage of their food raw. Right. It's interesting you're talking about some foods when you're cooking, you, um, there's some foods that raw that can um, damage your thyroid. Did I hear that correctly, Holly? You know, like the cruciferous vegetables. I mean, it, when people go into raw diets, eventually they realise not to eat a huge amount of cruciferous vegetables. But um, they contain chemicals called goitrogens, which uh, eventually um, inhibit the uptake of iodine by the thyroid gland, and um, and and you know, and all the implications of that. So. This is just one of the examples of how cooking has helped humans to survive so they can eat all these different plants and vegetables that aren't really human food. I mean, soy is another example. It's a fantastic food that's helped humans survive. Um, ideally, it's fermented. You know, like obviously in countries like China and Japan, um, they don't drink, you know, traditionally didn't drink gallons of soy milk. Um, it was properly prepared and not eaten in vast amounts, but it's been it's been a great ally. These foods have been good allies. Yeah, sorry, Holly. This, but cooking is quite a recent um, invention, isn't it? What? How did humans survive before fire? 
I think that, you know, there was a time when humans had all the um, foodstuffs they needed, you know, thinking in the, the tropical forest scenario before humans left that, um, everything was provided. And, the, and there's another, you know, it's just falling off the trees and coming out of the grounds. This is, this is the, you know, the real story of the Garden of Eden. And um, the thing is, what, what's happened, this is a really sort of subtle but really interesting thing that's happened because when humans stopped having their original diet, it changed the biochemistry of the whole body. I mean, obviously that's, that's logical, but um, the way we're constructed isn't just to do with our DNA, it's the way the DNA is read. If you change the chemistry of the body, the DNA is read differently. And we see that this in our own lives, you know, like we're different as children, as adults, we're built differently. Our DNA doesn't change, it's the hormones have changed and the DNA is read differently. If you change the plants and the plant material, when you're eating a vast amount of plant, fresh plant material, so it, it, there's a lot of very powerful hormones in plants and fruit and we we tend not to be aware of that now because we're so dumbed down but you know you get cleaned out and get back into our pristine state people start to even feel that even today they will feel that and now we're making really with the more powerful you know powerful so-called entheogenic plants but really all all plants and herbs are and are you know have have what you could call psychoactive properties never know which is the best word to use these days to say on the safe side but they all affect our mood and um they affect our neural system and how we feel so um you know living bathed in all this tropical forest biochemistry um we, we felt really quite differently these hormones are very powerful and affected the way our dna is read you take that away and then um, some, and, and you have a, a change in the way the DNA is read and the way the digest, so the digestive system builds this differently. So we can't even properly like, assimilate everything in that, in that fully natural diet now. So we need to take that into account when we think of a diet for today. Also, I mean, the endocrine system, the hormone system is being changed, the neural system is changed, and our immune system changed. It's not as strong as it used to be. So because we're in this different chemical mix, we're basically dominated now by our own hormones and our sex hormones, whereas we're, not, we're designed to be living in a mix of our own hormones plus plant hormones plus the pineal hormones that were in abundance before this sort of this anatomical change to us. And that is actually a different sense of self. And I believe that's what we're all looking for. We're looking for the sense of self. Right, we haven't got the diversity of, uh, of earlier times. Yeah, and, and we haven't got this sense of connection. When you've got all that chemistry pumping through, you've got this incredible sense of connection and a feeling of rightness. And um, that's what we've lost. And just trying to, you know, and this is the drug thing, really. It's so people in, innately know that they should have some other chemistry in there and try doing anything they can. And most humans do rely on substances to, you know, blatantly stimulate or sedate or calm or make themselves happy. Most humans are doing that in one form or another, whether it's illegal or legal. And that's understandable, but it's just fine. Let's find some cleverer ways to do this, to get back our original chemistry. So we feel the way we know we're designed to. And that is, you know, it is a kind of high, but it's um, a very grounded and practical and functional sense because it's right. a sense of connection you know to all that you know to reality you know to the greater reality which is amazing you know so i think you know this to me this is the core of the problem you know that humans face and it's the core of the solution right now, i believe clive um you can perform a test on a person and you can tell the person just what they are deficient in well there, tell us there, a little bit about this <coughs> There are lots of. Can you give me a glass of water? Yeah. 
<laughs> there are lots of interesting tests out there. About four months ago, I bought a, a mineral scanner which uses a spectrometry, uses infrared light, and you can read exactly what the uh, mineral levels in the person are. It's like a nutritional x-ray. Uh, on top of that, there are many, many test strips you can buy to test, for instance, your nitric oxide levels, to yes. test vitamin C levels, and many, many other functions of the body. Then one can go further and do start to do blood tests. And I've been uh, talking to two of the most interesting labs that do blood tests. And what you can do blood tests for are, for instance, um, delayed allergies. So, Many people are allergic to single items, but more often it's families of foods. And that family of foods could include foods that you might not think of being allergic to, like radishes. So, so um, the tests that one can do are really amazing. You can do a blood test and it will analyze over 800 different foods and it'll tell you exactly which ones you're allergic to, a very, very high accuracy rate, and tell you when the reaction happens. For some people, eating radishes or whatever it might be, it might be four days afterwards that they get the damaging reaction. So, I mean, it's going to be, even if you kept a really accurate food diary, it could be quite difficult to figure out what it was or what combination of foods it was that upset you four days after you'd eaten them. But, um, this uh, delayed allergy test will give you the answers. Similarly, the same lab does something called predictive biomarkers. There, there are many predictive biomarkers, but the top eight will predict with over 90% accuracy exactly when you're going to die. Wow, that's pretty scary. I know. But at the same time, as the report comes back, it will also tell you what you can do. Um, yeah, with these predictive biomarkers, um, uh, it is very scary, and I just did. I just tested for one of them because I could get that one done for free at the GP, and I have to say I was a little bit shocked and um, by the result. And as a result of the test, I immediately pumped the bicycle tires up on my bike and have started exercising more than I was before. And so it really, I think it's hugely valuable. While scary, um, if you're going to die in I don't know, four years, you want to know about it and extend it to 14 years or whatever you can do. And you, know, you wait till you get ill, then it gets very difficult. But if you know in advance what you need to do, you're going to have to change your diet, change your thought patterns, change your exercise patterns, whatever it is, then while you're still healthy, it's easy to make the change and you can rapidly change things. And I was amazed, not having got on my bike for two years, how weak my legs were the first time. And then the second time I doubled the distance, the third time I doubled the distance again. I was amazed how, how quick I got strong again. I was really surprised. And um, so from that, as just one simple example, one can see how one can change ill health into good health actually very rapidly. You know, so often when I do the mineral test, for instance, and I tell people they're low on magnesium or they're low on lithium or they're low on iodine, it can be... In some cases, it can be within one minute of taking the supplement that some, some people feel better. It depends how, how well or ill they are. You know, with, with the people who are really ill, often it's within seconds that they notice with some of the supplements 
that, oh, wow, I can feel that. Then with others like iodine, it might take six weeks. But, you know, for those people who can't remember why they walked in a room, um, in six weeks of taking iodine in the correct way, the correct type, with care and understanding and knowledge, they'll probably remember why they walked in the room again. So um, the other tests that one can do are for your uh, brain. There are, you know, again, there are many types, but there are basic, six basic brain chemistry types. There's the type of person who, let's say, might be depressed and respond well to an SSRI, an antidepressant drug from the doctor. Now, that's one of the brain types, but if you gave that SSRI to the opposite brain type, you'd make them worse. So the doctors take a very one-size-fits-all. You know, they've got SSRI, so they give it to everybody. But, of course, some people get worse on that. So you can do blood tests to figure out exactly which of the six brain types you are and then specifically target the neurochemistry that is going to fix you and make you happy again. You know, people who are manic-depressive, ADHD, ADD, um, schizophrenic, 90% uh, of those can come out of that situation within days. And a blood test will tell you how. Uh, it's not cheap to have this sort of work done. You know, the, the, the blood tests we're talking about, because um, you have to fly them on ice to America, but less than $1,000 US would would cover the cost of each of the each of those major ones. And I mean, how, how many lives are ruined by having a schizophrenic or a manic depressive in the family? But for less than a thousand dollars, now you got the answer. So I'm in the process of setting up uh, with a couple of, well, with, with the two most incredible labs to see if I can uh, offer that service, at least in the UK. Um, if people want to learn more about it, if they go on to my YouTube channel, which is Clive to Carl, and look for a couple of fairly recent videos I've put out with Dr. Russell Jaffe. Uh, he does the, uh, the allergy testing and the uh, predictive biomarkers. Then there's uh, another gentleman, William Walsh, who I've interviewed also, who does the neurology testing. And I'd really advise anybody who's interested in this to, to watch the videos that I've put up um, because the experts there are explaining how it works, why it works, and how much it costs, and, and so forth. Uh, William Walsh is particularly interesting because on TV in America, whenever they want an expert to talk about psychopaths, you know, somebody takes, you know, all the psychopaths as you probably know are usually taking SSRIs, and the SSRI sends them absolutely bonkers, and they take their machine gun, go down to schools and shooting people. I mean, that's one of the theories that's what's happening. Other people might say it's mind control. But nevertheless, um, whenever there is a shooting or some, some you know, murder from psychopaths, William Walsh is the one they bring out on CBS or whatever the TV stations are to explain the whys and the wherefores. And he started life as a prison visitor some 40 years ago. And he realized that the food was making the violent prisoners more violent. And essentially, he was given a wing to take care of, and he reduced the violence, you know, dramatically. And uh, now he runs, I think, the biggest uh, institute for uh, correcting neurological issues. And both these two gentlemen uh, worked with the most famous people of the time in America in, in the 70s and so on. Uh, Dr. Carl Pfeiffer is one of the names that they both worked with. 
But these guys were absolutely at the top of their profession and uh, you know, reasonably controversial at the time because they were fixing things. And of course, as you know, the authorities or the pharmaceutical industry don't terribly like it if you fix stuff, you know, the patient cured is customer lost. That's right, Clive. It's, that's, uh, that's quite intriguing, you know, how a food can affect one's character. Make, you know, the wrong foods can turn some people violent. Well, um, and lack, lack of foods can turn people violent. It turns out that 90% of the violent men in jails have low blood sugar. So I think we all know people who don't eat regularly. They get really grumpy. But there's the extreme of that, the violent people who, if they don't eat, they'll kill you because their, their brain chemistry changes. And now suddenly, I think this is a theory probably, they're reverting to the primitive part of the brain, that survival instinct that they're so hungry, they think they're going to die and they'll do anything. Uh, but they haven't put two together. They haven't put two together in any snack. Right, and Holly, I guess you have strong views on this as well, because you t you look at things in the larger picture, um, and you probably um, have personal experience of this, where you can see people's people's um, health and their even the, their behaviour and everything improving with an increased quality of food. Yeah, and and um, yeah, people just change, just become different type of different type of people, like actually a different sense of self. That's and that's what I'd emphasise really. My contribution. I mean, you think um it's 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 without without proper nutrition people are basically in um they're actually in a state of desperation and they don't really know why and what happens is that when there's something wrong internally people imagine it's something external that is the problem but it's actually most of it is to do with our our own biochemistry and our own systems and projected out onto the world stage and we see it every day and what humans are doing i mean to change is an experiment but um it's a way less dangerous experiment than the experiment going on currently on the it's a huge experiment going on the planet and we see yeah we see the results of it every day and i think that's what we're seeing some schools holly have removed soft drinks and um high sugar content foods from their uh, the school um, canteens, and they've seen a marked improvement in their children's um, on their scholastic results, but also just in their general behaviour. Um, and so this sort of backs up what you're saying, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think I think it's a huge uh, um, I think it's a huge appeal to parents when you realise how much easier caring for children is when you um, when you get them on a on a suitable diet then bringing up children's easy. It's actually really, really easy, but it's not anybody's fault that they don't realize, you know, I mean, I think parents always get in the firing line and get blamed for everything, but how, you know, how are parents supposed to know and often how they're supposed to afford the right foods because junk food is cheap food. So, you know, that's a, that's a whole sort of social issue to be sorted out. Um, but, you know, nobody's told all it. Nobody's told. How many people, you know, I, I ask a group of people who are really largely well educated and say, you know, it's like how many people here know that neurotransmitters are made from amino acids and hardly anybody will know that. It's a really basic fact. And, um, but that's the thing. It's like bringing up children is so much, I mean, I, I noticed this when I, you know, did it in my own family, you know, um, my second set of children were brought up on, on what I'd call more of an, I was doing, you know, I was even doing the organic whole food diet before that. And it doesn't compare with really getting back to basics. 
of a, of a properly natural diet. And I noticed little things like um, that my children would, you know, as toddlers even, just clear up their own toys when they finished playing a game. I was shocked the first time I saw that. The natural order, you bring in natural order because there's a natural order to living things that comes from, a, you know, from, from larger forces than us, you know, whatever you choose to call that. And this natural order is in all nature and all living things. And when you infuse your body with that, you get that sense of, sense of natural order within yourself. And that's something you only can experience. It's impossible to explain, you know, that feeling. But it's a very, very particular kind of feeling. And then all your, your natural instincts and your intuition and your inspiration really starts to kick in. It's just a bigger, it's a bigger experience of life. And then, you know, in terms of the cost, well, you know, when you're in that state, like a walk, a walk down in the park is more enjoyable and possibly, you know, doing something very extravagant would be when you're in this low brain state. You know, so it just expands your experience of life and um, in a slightly invisible way, but you, you feel it. And it, it improves harmony between people. One of the things I like talking about is melatonin, because melatonin is something that is designed to be pumped in, in large quantities from the pineal gland. Now it's very low. And that's partly to do with this, it's mainly to do with the epigenetic changes, but it's also now been compounded by the electromagnetic frequencies that we all know about, mobiles and Wi-Fi's and smart meters and all that. So that's reducing the activity of the pineal gland even more because the pineal gland responds to light. So, you know, originally the idea is that when it gets dark, our pineal glands respond to that by pumping some more melatonin so we sleep. And, um, but the electromagnetic, the, electromagnetic frequencies that are invisible to us will still go into our skulls and the pineal gland picks them up as light so it doesn't get the message to turn on more melatonin so you know all the sleep problems now which you never heard about years ago and sleep problems cause further degenerate you know they, they are cause further problems to the brain and you know that get into a sort of cycle that's out of control so um so yeah so sorry, melatonin one of the one interesting things about melatonin is if you give everybody if you supplement everybody in your family melatonin you'll generally find they will get on better because they feel more and then they feel more they're more sensitive to each other more empathic and there's more harmony in the family and i've seen that again and again actually and, and you don't see you don't really read about that on the internet or anything it's like just something you know kind of hit me to hear about we need re-educating we need to go back to how we were <laughs> Yeah, but, but not how we were, say, 200 years ago. You know, it's, uh, it's so back and far into the past. It's like the future, if you know what I mean. You know, it's, um, yeah, right. humans have gone off track a long while ago. Um, and so, you know, it is a long, long, long while ago, I do believe. It's just accelerated and compounded. So I'm very much, I'm very much in favour of we, we look forward, you know, we take lessons from the past, but don't attempt to go backwards, because that in itself is, is a, is there's something weird to our brains, if you see what I mean, because humans are designed to be goal orientated, humans are happy when they're working towards goals and um you know and, and they've got a vision in front of them something they like and they want and that's another has effect on dopamine levels for example when we're working towards something we want our dopamine levels and delaying gratification our dopamine levels get lovely and high as soon as we get what we want they crash and then we need to be on the next goal and that's fine to be like that. that's nothing wrong with that's an enjoyable way to live um understanding we're working towards these lovely goals and you know in the center of our minds and i i do believe that a lot of the problems with drugs are the dopamine levels um, being too low because people 
don't know that they need to be working towards goals. It sounds such a stupid thing. And work has become a dirty word, but actually because that's because we're, you know, maybe not working, you know, I think people like us, we're obviously working towards goals we believe in, but if you're working towards goals that you don't believe in, it's not quite the same, but we need to be working towards genuine, genuine goals to be happy. Teleological, nice word. Humans are teleological, designed to be working towards goals. <laughs> Lovely. Um, we've had a few questions in. This is a question from uh, Glyn Russell, who asks, are foods such as organic or even biodynamic foods, uh, do they contain all the minerals and trace elements that are contained within the soil? Or do, does one still, in, uh, well, I'm sort of changing, I'm expanding her question. Um, in today's society, modern, modern world, uh, do we still need to take supplements? I think we both agree about this, don't we? Does well, <laughs> I mean, unless you're growing your own foods and they're old varieties, you know, all the cucumbers have got seeds in that you could plant the next year and so on. If you were growing it in the old-fashioned way, on soil that had never, ever been depleted, you'd probably be all right, except for the fact we're knocked down by the toxins in the air. And, you know, so it's very difficult these days, even in that idyllic circumstance mm. of growing your own food, uh, to be sure that you are yeah. getting everything. Because, you know, one of the big things is stress. You see, if you... Uh, are under great stress and who of us out there isn't under great stress you deplete magnesium if you deplete magnesium then nothing works properly so but most organic farms are not not what you would ideally expect or want probably you know i had an organic farm for nine years in spain over the nine years they never came once to check there's so many factors that mean that the minerals are in our food i mean there's um the first one is deforestation, which we hear about in the Amazon, but has happened over the rest of the world. You know, for example, in Britain, um, the forests went, you know, in, in you know, in a, in a large way in the time of the shipping industry in Tudor times. So they haven't got the trees pulling the minerals up through the soil. And then intensive farming will destroy the topsoil in about 10 years, I believe. And then um, because of the way the sewage system has worked, it's basically exporting the minerals that humans consume out to sea. And then there's more subtle things like if you're eating, I mean, I, I advocate eating tropical fruit. I think it's great. But if you're bringing it in, um, if you're importing it, then that will be fruit that's not ripened on the tree and that's the minerals go into the fruit when it ripens so you've just got you, you get other benefits from the fruit but you to be mineral deficient so there's and you know all the things that Clive was talking about and, and that we need more because we're dealing with stresses and then we're not absorbing properly so when you add it all up I don't I think we have to you know everybody has to you can't you simply cannot get it from the food anymore the way that you know and I think once you accept that we're living in these sort of crazy times and make it an adventure and make it fun rather than you know you know get over the grieving of the loss of paradise on earth and that it's coming back but we're not in it right now so in this crazy crazy adventure um everybody everybody needs to mineral supplement as far as i can tell and organic does not mean that the minerals are there it just means that a load of poisonous chemicals haven't recently put, been put on the land hopefully hopefully <laughs> and you know biodynamic I, I know biodynamic gardeners, and generally speaking, if, if they are calling themselves biodynamic, that is like a huge sign above their head saying, we care, and 
the chances are that the biodynamic farmers would have chosen land that's been undamaged, they would have chosen the old varieties of seeds mm. and so on. Yeah, and that's the other thing is because of the new varieties, the plant, they're not pulling the minerals out of the soil in the same way. So. But the most dangerous thing clearly is to have vegetables that have been grown with Monsanto's Roundup, you know, the glyphosate <laughs> poison, uh, because um, the glyphosate's action is to stop the uptake of minerals. That's how it kills the, the plants. That's why it's such an effective herbicide. So, of course, um, by so if you grow plants with glyphosate, that they will be, even the ones that are meant to be resistant to it, they will be very low on minerals by default. So all the normal food in the supermarkets with glyphosate on it is mineral deficient to a huge degree, worrying degree. Glyphosate is only one of the many, many ingredients in Roundup and many right. other things. Now, we've just, um, you're touching on another question actually that's come through. It was like Pamela Walker who asks, uh, what about eating um, seasonal fruit and vegetables? Because supermarkets now provide these all year round. And so presumably they'll be um, harvested from farms which have used poisons to prevent the, you know, prevent weeds and um, then uh, picked whilst they're unripe and put into the cold storage and then possibly ripened with some gas later. So uh, what, are your th what are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, the, um, the, what supermarkets are doing is basically depleting people from minerals and uh, vitamins and um, introducing a poison in the same, in the same at the same time. Do you do you agree with that analysis, Holly? Yeah, of course, yeah, of course. Yeah. And, and you know, you look in a suit, I mean, I actually, I, you know, we can resort to supermarkets when necessary, but not as long as we don't believe that we're getting, a, you know, we're not getting complete food there. And, you know, even then another thing that we don't often think about is how sterile the food is there. It's not covered in soil. It's not got insect material in it. And that is really, whether we like it or not, how we're designed to eat. And um, so we're in survival mode, trying to create something, trying to trying to create something more. If you look around, you see it's actually a global famine. You know, we've got the official famines, but if you know how to see what nutritional deficiency, if you just look at everybody around you, anybody who's overeating or overweight is basically malnourished because the only reason why humans would overeat is not because they're a bad person or emotionally disturbed or greedy, it's because they're starving. And the body compels you. I mean, I've, I've actually myself had situations where I've got a slept walked in the middle of the night to eat. You know, when uh, that's how strong the body the body will have to get its nutrients. Um, it, it will get them by whatever means it can. It's trying to look after us. And and if the price is carrying around some extra pounds of fat, then you know that's what it will do for us. So in the middle of the over in in the middle of the um in the middle of all the overweight, people are actually starving. Gosh. A question from Andre is asking, are we wasting our time with trying to buy nutritious foods from shops? You know, do we have to buy supplements in, in this modern world? I think we absolutely do, and but we should still get the best food that we can, um, you know, give in the best food that we can source plus have supplements. And I, I, don't, I don't think there's any way around that at all. I think it's just how it is. And especially for the children. Do you, th do you see a change, Holly? Do you think we're going to have a future which is going to get progressively um, more deplete of um, life-giving minerals and vitamins. In the short term, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm an eternal optimist. So I think, you know, the future's not 
done yet. You know, the future's not defined. But, you know, by definition, the future is open. But in the short term, it's probably getting worse. But there's so much we can do. But what I, you know, my personal take on it is our, our first, um, the first priority is to re-nourish our neural systems, to rebuild our neural systems so that we know what to do. Because there's probably more that we can do that we haven't simply haven't thought of. You know, when you're like that eureka moment when you see through a problem, why didn't I think of that before? It's so obvious, such a simple thing to do. And I think there's a lot of that. And that's, I may call that my, you know, my number one ethic is to re regenerate the human neural system because that's what's causing the problem and there are solutions in there. So you know, that's what, that's what my writing's all about, you know, and take it into more depth than actually we've even talked about, you know, there's more things we can do than even this. It sounds very interesting. Now, um, Clive, you, um, your work is um, pretty much um, aligned with Holly's. Um, Holly, I, I see that you take more the wider view, and, and Clive, you take the more the focused view. Um, do you um, exchange ideas on how to improve people's health? Do you ever sort of um, uh, um, consult each other for help? Constantly, constantly. Well, you know, yeah. um, we're working together so well that we're mm. we're really a partnership, yeah. and um, because we balance each other out nicely. Yeah. Right, and so if someone, Clive, came to you for testing, um, it's very likely that um, Holly would um, come, to, you know, to assist in in um, bringing back someone to health. That oh, well, that's what the client wanted, of course. Mm -hmm. Yes, very much yeah. so. Well, things Clive's very good, like I said, the details, and he can he can take specific problems and and get specific help. But because you know, the thing is, I I can talk about particular foods and supplements, but in someone's individual situation where they need testing and they need the right sort of right whatever, this is where Clive is so brilliant. And what I, something I'm very good at is making very delicious natural food. It's like you know, I mean, I, I've had a history of doing catering, catering for example, just on the merits of how food nice my food tastes and of course what would you expect the you know the natural diet of our species should be delicious to us and I think that's something I noticed living in the east is there's more of an understanding that um, food that is good for us tastes nice and I think I know particularly in England there's an idea that if you know something's good for you it tastes horrible and um, <laughs> I have to play to that sometimes and I give people things and tell them they're going to taste horrible because then they know it's good for them. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you, know, I, you know, obviously we're designed to like the foods that are good for us. It's just been distorted because, for example, we must have, you know, we, we're designed to take in natural sugars and, and natural fats. But um, so we've got a natural longing for that. But if we've been fed, we've been fed the wrong fats. So people think oh, I've got to cut out fat and think all these fatty things that they like aren't good for them. But why it is they need the good fats? Okay, so um, if someone wanted good fats, what food should they eat? Um, well, I mean, what, just one example, um, like hemp milk has got um, most of the essential, um, most essential fatty acids, not all, but most essential fatty acids. And you can make a delicious hemp milk with say water and orange juice and then you can uh, you can make a smoothie where you, where you have raised fruits or seeds or super seeds and that would just be completely delicious. Um, so you need the, you need the uh, polyunsaturated fats, the omega-3s, the omega-6s, and then the mono, um, the mono unsaturated fats aren't really essential fats, but because of the state when it's difficult for us to convert fats from one type to another, so it's good to have a good range. So I think that avocados and olives obviously delicious. 
um, you know, good quality olive oil, and you have to really watch out. That's a whole topic in itself. Um, coconut oil is the saturated fat. That's, I mean, that's a good idea day. Only, only safe fat to cook in because saturated fats, which have been we've had a bad breath, but actually they're the only ones that are stable in Never, never cook in uh, monounsaturated or polyunsaturated fats. Well, personally, I like butter. Yeah, I'm a big fan of butter. Um, but of course, there's butter and there's butter. Uh, the, one of the problems is now that of what they're doing with all the animals, and let's just take the cows as one example. Um, you know, in America, of course, they're keeping a lot of cows in in sort of con on concrete floors, all bashed together. They don't know what grass is. In England now, most of, most of the cows are no longer in the fields. They put them inside mm -hmm. in factories. So not only don't they know what grass is, they don't know what sunshine is either. It's the most frightening situation. And they bred the cows to be monsters. Um, you know, the Holstein cows, those ones you see dragging their udders down, mm -hmm. down the road because they're so huge and overinflamed and so on. That doesn't make healthy milk. You know, there are two types of milk, basically, type A and type B. And just to confuse everybody, type, P, type B is the one you want. You know, the Jerseys and the Guernseys will produce type B, but some of the Holsteins produce this type A, which is essentially poisonous to humans. The amino acid, called, um, the proline amino acid, has now been changed to the histidine um, amino acid, which for some people, not everybody so much, but some people, it's, they're so allergic to it, it can give them diabetes or neurological problems. So then there's this genuine fear of milk, but actually, milk where the animals were properly looked after as members of the family and um, the, the milk was drunk raw and preferably fermented in the form of keeper or something like that or even cheeses was a completely different kind of thing and you know I mean that's something I understood that you know you know a hundred or more years ago doctors you know you go to the doctor and you might be the same way people talk about green drink green juice they say drink milk because it was raw milk made from your traditional animals and now you know now i see the same thing will happen to green juice they'll pasteurize it and put it in bottles and people still think it's a health drink which is exactly what they did to milk that's how humans have got if your grandmother great great grandmother or something went into the shops and you showed them the milk they would argue stringently that's not milk because it's white colored when milk should be yellow creamy colored with lots and lots of cream on top yeah, so what, what we're looking at as milk and accepting as milk really, really is rubbish. And if it's pasteurized or is low fat or semi-skimmed, uh, it's really quite unhealthy. You know, you'd think that semi-skimmed from the media would be healthier than full fat, but the opposite is true. We, we, if you were drinking semi-skimmed, uh, let's say, or full fat, which of those two would make you fatter? Well, the skim milk, bizarrely, makes people fatter than full cream, because full cream is natural. And it's got the fat, because it's designed in a certain milk, even though it's not human milk, it still is designed to be as nourishment. So it's got all the fat-soluble vitamins, which the, the D and the K2, which now allow you to absorb the calcium. So although the calcium's in the semi-skim milk, you can't absorb it properly because yeah. the fat-soluble vitamins have been taken out. But it's a good move commercially because it means that the cream can then be sold off and the semi-sim milk isn't any cheaper, but exactly. they can sell off the cream. So that's what it's all about. It's just industry. Yeah. Mm. But if a, if a consumer goes into a shop and they see two bottles of milk, one of them has got milk which is off-white and one is a beautiful white, which one would they go for? 
Well, uh, the best milk, you know, in theory, comes from the Jersey cow, which really is a creamy, yellowy colour. Mm. You know, and you can see it easily, you can spot it. Mm. Now, you, you touched on pasteurisation. That's um, heating food so that it kills the germs inside so it doesn't go off if it's uh, used for storage. Um, Holly, what temperature is a safe temperature? Um, uh, Majiru asks this question. What, what's a safe temperature that you can take foods before you before you well, stop? Well, it, it does vary from food to food and different constituency. But but the you know the the you know the t temperatures all quite always quoted is forty degrees. It's just like human body temperature, bi biological temperature. I mean, there's some things that will stay intact above that, and some things are going to disintegrate before that. For example, polyunsaturated polyunsaturated oils, you know, when the seeds are ground and the oil is left lying around at room temperature, it's going to go rancid within minutes. So, you know, you, you just got to think about, it's about keeping the food intact. So you just got, it's just got to think mechanically about all this kind of thing, really. But the general temperature that you're asking about is approximately 40 degrees or human body temperature. And, and after you heat stuff above that temperature, it's starting to degrade. So strictly speaking, after you've pressed an oil, for instance, mm. um, unless you've done it in an environment where the instead of air there is nitrogen, it will go rancid, as Holly mm. says. And so people don't realise that all those all those oils in bottles on the shelf are rancid. You may not taste it's rancid. Something I do too, you know, which I think works better with the oils is um, you know soak soak a lot of seeds and then overnight and then and drain them and blend them into smoothies. And you've got the oils completely fresh. Now I notice if I make smoothies like that, you know, within half an hour, you know, my family don't want to eat them because they're sensitive to this kind of thing and they can tell that it's off. But I think we're so, you know, generally speaking, we're so used to eating food that's gone off, we can't tell the difference. But when you start to eat differently, you soon do. And you're t the interesting thing, your taste buds change and you, your idea of what's delicious changes. You can change very, very, very fast. Um, something I do is actually make foods that taste like familiar cooked dishes and things we're used to, to make that emotional transference. But then, to be honest, after a while of eating the food you designed to your body, so happy, it, cha it just changes your taste buds and things that you thought you'd never like to eat, you actually enjoy. It's true, isn't it? It's most unusual. I've been surprised by what, you know, experiencing my, my taste buds changing. Yeah. I like completely different foods. Than, than and it's not to. forced, it's just something that naturally no, happens. No, it's, it's, naturally a happens. Genuine, it's a genuine feeling. And I think, I think mm. you know, the body knows what's good for it. Yeah, but it's just not used to getting it. Mm -hmm. No. So, and of course, your body needs time to customise to the new flavours at the very beginning as well. Yeah. Um, Takes while, especially sugar. Sugar's got quite a strong pull, but it's so hard to start, you know, adding less sugar until you go to um, to no added sugar. But in actual fact, it's so easy if you know your minerals, because mm. you see, I can t I can do a five minute mineral test on somebody, and I can tell them exactly why they're craving the, mm. the sugars. Because mm. yeah, I can see it in the chart. Because if you're low on certain minerals, you're going to crave. Certain foods, and it go, goes so fast once people get those minerals. Oh, yeah, in. oh, it can be a day within yeah. a day. Yeah, you know, you can be craving chocolate, carbs, sugar, and you correct that. Next day, you're not walk right past the same food. You, know, you might have a little bite, but you won't eat it all. Mm. It's incredible how quickly things can change. Really surprising. Mm. That's what remarkable. Sorry, Holly. No, I was just saying we're we're more about our biochemistry than we. We think we're so, you know, we're, we're humans and we're this and we're that, but we're more about a bio biochemistry than we realise. 
which I know we've talked about a lot in this interview. And it's, you know, at, at the beginning you were saying uh, uh, about what is a drug. Mm. I mean, a drug is something that you want to do repeatedly and makes you happy. Mm. So um, people uh, eat chocolate every yeah. day because it makes them happy. It, it releases all sorts of uh, wonderful love mm. and happiness chemicals in the brain. But of course, if you have your mineral balance right, then you're naturally producing mm -hmm. those chemicals in your brain and you're happy without having to resort to stuffing your face with lots of chocolate. I mean, I love chocolate, but you don't need the amounts that people need. Yeah, and it's optional. It becomes a choice then. Yeah, and there's one particular mineral as well that people in that makes them often crave, especially women, crave chocolate and they don't. It's just one mineral and all that craving, chocolate craving can go. And then you can enjoy it when you want to. I think there's the one main mineral, and if we're paid enough money, we will divulge it. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll tell you, maybe. And it, it's chromium, by the way. And magnesium. I think a lot of women crave chocolate because of meat. Magnesium. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. And then also all the trace minerals. You see, what it really comes down to is it's not just one thing, really, although there are these major points. Um, you, want the, you want your body to be totally balanced. And to be balanced, you really need to make sure you've got enough of every single mineral. And there are more than 70 of them. And, you know, for those of you who might want to know, uh, there are really about approximately 100 uh, foods that you need to take in, basically. 100 nutrients. Uh, 100 nutrients, nutrients. 100 yeah. separate nutrients, rather. And, 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 but, and there's probably more biochemicals that we don't quite understand. Oh, yes. There are lots of fruit and veg that we haven't even worked out. But we don't, there are definitely no 100 nutrients that we cannot make ourselves in our own bodies. Yes, and we need to take in all of that or we're missing something yes. yeah and it's not a sofa it's not a new sofa and it's not a new car it's, it's a mineral or a or amino acid or something of that nature yeah. i mean it really is incredible how getting the differences that getting it right will make because you know uh uncontrollable children can can become happy i mean mm. you know it can be a little tricky because if that child is totally addicted to pizza pies pastries and breads and all that stuff it is an addiction you know wheat particularly is highly highly addictive mm. you just have to take them through it yeah and find the alternatives the mm. uh, uh, at the risk of being blatant uh holly's book food for consciousness has an awful lot of recipes in yeah. it which including pizzas yeah yeah mm. i mean you know uh, obviously the eye does a lot of eating so if you can make the food look right to the eye yeah. Uh, then it's just a question of education. Mm. I, I realized uh, many years ago, if you wanted to change somebody's food habits, mm. that there is essentially a three-day and a 21-day cycle to it. Mm. And, it's, and it's the same would be if somebody wanted to be free from tobacco or something, they want to give up some, some addiction. Basically, the first three days are a little bit tricky mm. because your brain is going, you want one, you want one, you want one sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. And the trick there is to know what you're going to do instead. So when you get the brain nag, say you really want a cigarette or you really want the chocolate or, or if, if that happens, then you need to have in your mind, okay, what's the alternative? Maybe I've always wanted to play guitar. So uh, each time you want a cigarette, you say, well, I've actually bought myself with the money I saved, I bought myself a guitar and I'm now going to play it. Or you might want to do art or something. So for the first three days, it's a nag. 21 days later, you're free from it. And, and this, this is a good example of this is people who take sugar or sugar in their coffee or tea, for instance, and would like to not need the sugar. 
if when you stop the sugar, and you always cut down, cut down, cut down, but 21 days after you've stopped, I mean, let's say you're putting sugar in your tea and you drink tea without sugar at the beginning, you go, oh, it's not sweet enough. End of 21 days, you'll drink the tea with the sugar and you go, oh, that's much too sweet. Mm. It, 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 21 days and your body chemistry, generally speaking, will change for the better. And there's lots of things that you can have, you know, like, for example, lucuma, like just, it's just dried fruit, and that's deliciously sweet. And that's the kind of natural sugars that we need. So, yeah. So, you know, there's loads of ways of getting sweetness in an appropriate way without having sugar. And there's also, of course, um, I mean, this particularly relates to chocolate. Mm. Um, there are ways to, you know, to use products like that. I quite like maca as, mm. as a sweetener yeah. for chocolate. Yeah. You know, if you're making your own chocolates, then it's easy to make them sugar-free. Yeah, it's easy to make chocolate. It's, it's ridiculously easy to make your own raw chocolate. It it's less trouble than going out to the shop. Really, it takes less time. Yes, and less expensive yeah. too. Yeah. I mean, what I like to do is I like to get some coconut oil and uh, heat it up a little bit so it's melted. Uh, put in, if you've got, let's say you've got a bunch of overripe bananas that you forgot to eat and otherwise you might throw away. Bizarrely, overripe bananas can be very, very healthy, health, healthier than underripe ones or even what we might call normal bananas. So you, you put in some uh, raw chocolate powder some maca, some mash up loads of bananas in there with the coconut oil and then just leave it to set. Um, just that, it's incredibly simple. Most people go, wow. Yeah, yeah. And because you've now in, enrobed the bananas with the chocolate and the coconut oil, and coconut oil, of course, is antibacterial, antiviral, antifungal, you've drastically increased the life of, yeah. of the bananas. Yeah. So, you know, the bananas that would be <coughs> unedible the next day, <coughs> uh, suddenly uh, will last a week. And, you know, it's all, you know, my, my judgment is if the kids like them, yeah, now you've got something that's yeah, going to be exactly. reasonably they're, popular. Yeah. And so there's an art, obviously, to making these chocolates mm -hmm. just right, so they're not too chocolatey, you know. But again, uh, there are recipes for all this stuff. Yeah. And there's so many mm -hmm. ways to convert bad eating habits into really good ones mm. and it's also stuff that you can share socially because it is nice it's just people don't know about it yeah. so you never i've never people ask about socially but i've never been to a restaurant or cafe where they will not give you a salad of some description uh, or a piece of fruit that's never a problem ever and we're anywhere in the world people these things exist <laughs> fruit and vegetables exist all over the world and um you know if you go into a social occasion you just make something to share and be you know, the only problem is you have to remember that you're going to have to share it because you think, I think I'll just take it from me. And then everybody wants all of that. So you have to take loads <laughs> because it's with the nicest thing there probably. So it's not, it's just knowing it's nothing. There's nothing difficult about any of this. It's just knowing, isn't it? It's just knowing there's some simple or reorganizing when you reorganize, it's actually easier and it's easier to travel this way. And there's also the thing about how you feel. I mean, you know, let's, if, let, I mean, here in England, I don't know how it is elsewhere, but um, at Christmas, people usually eat turkey. And turkey's full of the amino acid tryptophan. And for a lot of people, after a turkey Christmas dinner, all they can possibly do is sleep. Mm. Because the turkey, for those people who, for, if you feel sleepy after a meal, you've got to ask yourself whether you've eaten the right food for you. Because... If you had the right food, let's say you had a salad or something, uh, you know, nuts, seeds, bit of fish, or whatever, whatever, however you like your salads, you might feel like going playing a game of tennis, as opposed to that other type of meal that weighs you down. You just want to lie down. Mm, that's the after lunch slump. 
yeah. which is it's known that people are not very productive in the first part of the afternoon, but that's ridiculous. When I was working in ophthalmic optics, mm -hmm. we used to recommend uh, the, the patients to go and see various ophthalmic mm -hmm. specialists in London. And there were some where we'd say, go and see them in the morning, yeah. do not take a afternoon appointment mm. uh, but often that was because they used to go out drinking at lunchtime yeah. and they're trying to do eye surgery <laughs> and when they're drunk i mean it's just horrendous yeah. oh. so uh, i hope we've sort of answered uh, some of your questions right um uh, this, this uh viewer has asked if someone's vegetarian um what supplements would you recommend they take because they're not getting their um, the, you know, what, what meat contains. Is there anything which they may likely be deficient in? Um, something to watch out for particularly. Um, Omega-3 uh, omega oils, we, we do get from plant material, but most people aren't able to convert them into um, the EPA and DHA that eyes need. Although in theory we can do that, most of us can't. So. Um, if you're not vegetarian, you can get that from fish oil. If you are vegetarian, definitely get an algae supplement containing EHA and DPA. And there's a few on the market, you can get them online. Definitely those. Um, as we get older, CoQ10, we tend not to produce our own CoQ10. That's essential for making energy in the cells. The only real animal source is, well, it, the only real source is for meat or organ meats. And you take that as easy supplement. Um, and that works wonders. Anything else you can call? B, the B vitamins, probably vegetarians are okay, aren't they? But except that we all tend to be short of B vitamins. Well, the, the vegetarians are going to be sh possibly short of B12 after a while. You get a good long storage in your body of B12. But, um, you know, there, there are some people who thrive on being vegans and vegetarians, but a lot of people, a lot of people just don't. And uh, maybe they would have done in the wild in some... Well, it's the insect material. This is what I, I think it's about, is that as um, we're not designed to eat sterile um, plant material, it's insect-laden plant material, which is nutritionally quite differently different. But, you know, there are supplements you can take to kind of, you know, sort of make up for that. And um, uh, vitamin A can be a problem for some women because um, the beta-carotene form in, plant, in plants, many women cannot convert that adequately to retinol, which we need. Um, so, you know, vitamin A supplementation is a good idea, for, especially for some women. Um, vitamin D is often a problem just because in theory we get it from the sun, but um, are we out in the sun enough? And then if you're living at a, uh, you know, a, a sort of at a, a high latitude, then um, in the wintertime, the sun isn't even high enough to shine UVB light on the skin. So. Right. And if, if a vegetarian a woman wanted to get pregnant, were there any, would there be any recommendations that you'd give this person? Yeah, proper tests to make sure they've got all, you know, all new, you know, make sure they're getting everything in, get a mineral test, make sure they're totally, well, for how many months before they conceive a child, would you say? So, I, yeah, if you really wanted to, to uh, give birth to the optimum child, I believe both mother and father should start addressing their nutritional and supplemental needs two years early right actually if you really wanted to get it absolutely spot on have the most genius children out two years would be a good time but any length of time you know the long the longer you think about it in advance and act on it yeah. there are some fantastic books out there there's a book called the brighton baby the brighton baby uh, which is 
fantastic load of information for anybody thinking in advance. There's also, uh, I mean, the thing is, I think with vegetarians, that um, where do they draw the line? Uh, let's say an unfertilized egg, is that acceptable? You know, you're not necessarily killing anything to get that, the chicken or the duck or the goose or whatever mm. will just lay another one. But I personally think that eggs are a very good food, yeah. and I think that our ancestors hundreds of thousands of years ago or whenever would have found them very easy to get. I, I think I think that probably I think eggs are various, not it wouldn't be just hen and duck eggs, eggs of all different sorts of species. I any, think any species. naturally consumed as part of the diet. And like I say, if people are concerned about ethics, there are there are you know there are situations around where hens have a better life than us. You just got to find them. And um, I, I agree with you. And I think they're just such a complete source of nutrition. And we supplements are great, but we don't, you know, we're not clever enough to understand everything that body needs you know so it's always there's always a bit of an experiment and i think if you you know even an egg yolk for a raw high quality raw egg yolk could be thrown into a smoothie and it would just cover a load of stuff we might not even be aware of very complete food but, you know, if you just take one mineral uh, let's say that the mother is low on selenium there is a risk a very real risk if you're very low on selenium that the baby could be born with Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, or muscular dystrophy. Now, if the mother has enough selenium, they will be born without any of those problems. You know, every birth defect from cleft palate to clubbed foot, whatever, they're all deficiencies. And there's so, iodine. I mean, iodine is well, crucial iodine, for yeah. a baby's intelligence. Absolutely crucial. Mm. I, you, know, you want to have a clever baby. And most people are deficient in iodine. I would say 95% mm. on, so, on a Western diet. Right? Mm. And that would probably include China. Nowadays, but maybe not. So yeah, oh, not in the old days, but nowadays, if they're eating the modern yeah. modern. Yeah, right. Yeah. This is quite intriguing. Now I've got quite a few questions, so just a, a quick answer each from both of you. <laughs> um, do, if it, do you think vegetarians get enough protein in their diet? Um, I think they can do if they if they if they think it through. I think you just got to think it through more as a vegetarian. Yeah, I mean, I would, uh, you know, if I was eating a purely veggie diet, I'd certainly be, one of my favourites is hulled hemp seeds, hemp mm. seeds without the shell, mm. and you have to keep them in the fridge and eat them pretty rapidly, uh, but full of amino acids, very tasty, you can add them to sweet things, or savoury things, you know, sprinkle them on salad, put them on yoghurt, whatever, fruit, whatever you like. Um, one does have to think carefully, otherwise, being you know vegan or vegetarian, you can easily slip into deficiency. But I, I would still, you know, still say our natural way to get amino acids probably is primarily through plant material, but you've got to regain you've got to regain the art of how to do it. And, you know, right. A lot of people don't like to hear this if they're vegans, but I, I interviewed Dr. Heinz Reinwald, a very famous German doctor oncologist. And we were talking about vegan and vegetarianism. I said, um, you know, what do you think about it? And he said, well, I can see a vegan and a vegetarian in the cancer ward. And I said, well, how? And he said, well, they're so weak. This is a bit of a generalization, but as a, and I'm just a reporter, but one's got to be careful. You know, a lot of teenagers these days are becoming vegan or vegetarian, thinking that a diet of pizza is fine. It's not, you go, you just got to, you just got to look into it and research it because um, it's not, it's, you can't be just taking out the meat you've got i mean i think vegetarians probably know this now but you know you can get you can get all the amino acids really from plant sources but you've got to know what you're doing okay yeah absolutely um 
Are there any foods that are inflammatory or anti-inflammatory? Yeah, loads. Loads, and of course it may be different from one person to another, but the modern wheat, for probably maybe 40% of the population now, modern wheat is inflammatory. And, you know, inflammation, described in other words, is a repair deficit. In other words, inflammation is your ability to repair yourself because we're naturally self-repairing. And so some foods or lack of some nutrients will mean you can't self-repair. And really everybody who's ill, their problem is that they can't self-repair. So why would that be? Well, the only reason you can't self-repair would be physical accident now, you, you know, you got something wrong with you from that perspective, or deficiency and or toxicity. You know, nobody's low on dog drugs from the doctors. That's, that's not the answer. And so if, um, are there any foods that uh, reduce inflammation, Holly? Is there any, any foods that one can take? Oh, God, you got, um, I don't well, We can uh, pass, we can pass uh, on to the next question and come back to this one later, if you like. Uh, well, I mean, there, there are foods like ginger, turmeric, uh, lots of the spices can be anti-inflammatory, vitamin C, uh, selenium, you know, there are many, many uh, factors to bring down uh, inflammation. For a lot of people, they may be inflamed for some other reason entirely, like they're dehydrated. Mm. You know, there's so many factors, but it's, it, all, all it is is we need to get back to how our ancestors did it because they survived. You know, our, our families wouldn't be here now if it hadn't been for our ancestors knowing how to fix problems, knowing what herbs fixed what if they cut themselves and yeah, were inflamed exactly. what to what to do and this knowledge is now for the most part lost for most people so they rely on the doctors and drugs and then wonder why it doesn't work yes yeah, so we don't know what we don't know you know even in my lifetime i've seen um herbal remedies disappear and nobody's even heard of them because they don't even know they've been banned yeah i, I advise everybody if they've got granny still alive or elderly relatives in the family you say do you remember when you were young, if something went wrong with your body, what granny or grandfather or whatever did, you know, trying to remember the old rem remedies. And if, let's say, somebody's now in the diaspora and they're in a different country to their family, write to everybody and get the local remedies because if they work for your ancestors, they likely work for you. Mm. And uh, try and keep keep the knowledge alive. Well, obviously, people have written books about all the old knowledge, but uh, you know, basically, probably if your granny's still alive. She'll tell you all, in the old days, we used to take bicarbonate of soda for that. Mm. Or we used to have two eggs and who knows, but... Mm. Okay, uh, moving on um, in the questions, what foods are good for the brain and for your memory? Um, oh, it was a specific, um, some interesting specific herbs and foods like lion's mane, mycelium, um, Chinese herb, that that helps regrow neural tissue. The ginkgo is great for memory, in, improves circulation of the brain. There's um, a wonderful herb called rhodiola, that it's like um, an, a sort of healthy alternative to caffeine. It's great for mental work, you know, staying at partying or doing um, intense mental work. Oh, there's so many, I mean, <laughs> there's so much. Food-wise, eggs, I would mm. say, are a brilliant brain food. Fatty fish, brilliant mm. brain food. Mm. Um, Walnuts, you know, but I mean, 
everything is a brain food. Well, it's really. all of it. It's all about, it's, it's, it's really, to be honest, people have this magic pill, but you've really got to think all the constituents that are needed. And that's the way forward, really, is to get the whole whole, whole thing rebuilt. And um, and then you can take, my, my approach is it's like a rebuilding it, reactivating it, and you're putting herbs on top to sort of tweak it and activate things. But that's a bit, it's, you're not really making the most of it if you haven't given it the proper nourishment. You know, it's like there's nootropics no getting very, very popular. But I kind of cringe because I think, well, you know, there's such a more natural, elegant way to do this. Is if you if you haven't got the right building blocks in the first place, you're trying to you're trying to push something that's not really nourished to go really, and then you get people can get burnt out very easily. Whereas if you you go for nourish, you can, it's sort of about cleansing the whole system, nourishing the whole system, which includes includes the neural system, and getting neuro neuro um, transmitted. Um, you know the amino acids in for the neurotransmitters and then you can tweak it and then when you start to tweak with really very mild traditional herbs and and it's very it's very sustainable kind of wholesome experience rather than you know do you know what i'm saying it's just a much more wholesome sustainable experience well, i think taking it back to basics the, the main constituent of your brain is water mm. so if you're dehydrated your brain will be smaller than it ought to be. It mm. won't work properly. Yeah. The second ingredient of the brain is fat, mm. primarily cholesterol. So if you're eating a low-fat diet, you're going to have a, a smaller brain. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a wonderful book that um, was, I think it's just written a couple of years ago called Neurogenesis by Brandt Courtright, a psychologist in California. And that's um, it's a great reference book, actually, for the kind of foods that would for um, regenerating your brain. And blueberries is one of them. Um, but exercise is absolutely crucial as well. That gets forgotten. But we ne actually need exercise to regenerate neural tissue. Right. This is very, very interesting. Um, does your diet um, influence how, how well you sleep? Of course, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I would say add that we've got so many, you know, we've got so many factors now to deal with. And, um, you know, it's really, I think the main, I think the main problem is all these electro, you know, the artificial electromagnetic frequencies. Um, I'm, I'm very much in favor of melatonin supplementation at bedtime because I think we're so low in melatonin anyway. That's just a great thing to do. I know some people don't agree with that. I'm really passionate about it. But the more as we get older and it affects the way our DNA is read as well because our DNA is read to be designed in much with much larger quantities of melatonin around than it is now so it's anti-aging there's a book called the melatonin miracle I've forgotten the name of the author but it's just a cheap paperback you know, Amazon explains about that um, and then I you know I, I think we've just got to do something to to protect ourselves from electromagnetic frequencies if we've got any chance of sleeping properly um, B vitamins are important. Um, what else is important for sleep? Um, a dark room, no, no, no little lights. Preferably not watching a screen half mm. an hour at least before you go to bed. Dim the lights over the period of the evening so that you know, it's dimmer, dimmer, dimmer. Mm. Uh, because bright lights wake you up or keep you awake. Um, turn off all, all the electrics that you can. Mm. Um, and I think. Part, you know, every organ, you know, the liver, the kidneys, the lungs, all that, throughout the day, each organ, you know, you could say has an hour. And so if you're waking up at two o'clock or three o'clock with regularity, it mm. may well be that one of those organs is speaking mm. with you mm. and giving you a warning. That, because, you know, the, there's a repair to the liver, you know, at a certain time. Mm. And um, 
So that's that's something to that's think about, I think. Yeah. Um, with the electromagnetic frequencies, I put a video on my Clive to Carl YouTube channel, which showed this woman. She'd been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis because her hands were shaking so badly that she couldn't get dressed or couldn't go to the toilet by herself, nothing like that. And it turned out not to be multiple sclerosis, turned out to be her plasma television. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you've got a plasma television or you're one of the 3% of people who are very susceptible to mobile phones or cordless phones or any electrical device, you know, it's worth considering if you've got some sort of mystery disease that's just arrived, could it be because your next door neighbor has just installed a very powerful router or something? Mm. You know, it, these days we have to think. Well, smart meters. A smart meters. Really can have at the people's health. Well, absolutely. And of course, you go to the doctor and they're not going to say, is, no. is it because you just have a smart meter installed or your neighbor they think has? You've got a deficiency of well, drugs. I mean, this lady, mm. you know, if somebody hadn't worked out it was her plasma TV, mm. she, she would have been on drugs for the whole of her life, mm. would never have been able to go to the toilet ever again. I mean, it's just horrendous. Yeah. And within six weeks of removing the plasma television, the shaking stopped. Something so simple. Looking at a holistic solution rather than a focused solution. Gosh, that's terrible. It's incredible, isn't it, really? And, and I mean, if 3% of people are that sensitive, how many people are misdiagnosed? Yeah. Yeah, uh, we, uh, I use a device called, I mean it goes everywhere with me now, GeoCleanse, which actually comes from Australia, um, device on, by someone called Gerabini, actually I've got an interview with him on my own site, but um, it doesn't, I have to say, it doesn't, it's not like, it doesn't completely, um, you make up for all of it, but it's just, um, it's, it's made the difference for me between being woken up in the night, because um, where my family are, um, the, the uh, the signals are so strong that they'll set off my car alarm. I had to disable the car alarm. So, and I was told to do that by a car mechanic. This isn't anybody with any particular axe to grind. It's just a, a mechanical um, observation that the signals are so strong they're setting off my car alarm. And I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't even really be there for more than a few hours, really, and um, until I got this GeoCleanse device. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff around now on the market, and you just have to find something that you know necessary completely screening rooms completely screening beds really using screen materials and try and block out, block out the modern world and the modern electrical well, noise electromagnetic frequencies yeah you could sleep in a, in a homemade faraday cage you could paint, mm. paint the walls with anti-emf paint you know and the floors and the ceilings there, there are ways to because you wouldn't get a mobile signal in your house after that Damn. <laughs> Paradise. Now, and, and, um, this going back to foods, so uh, a viewer has asked: uh, Do darker-coloured fruits and vegetables have more nutrients than lighter-coloured ones? It's quite yeah. an interesting question. Yeah. Uh, generally, it's absolutely true. Yeah, yeah, yeah all those, yeah, the, the, those, the, yeah, and and it's, you know, it's our relationship to it. The reason we see those colours is it's all part of our design to draw us to those colours to eat them because they're attracted to us. Yeah, wow. Um, just uh, a few more questions. Um, what food is recommended uh, to a person who has a hormonal imbalance? Is there any stabilizing food? It's a bit of a tough one. Well, yeah, it's too general to, to answer mm. because what, what sort of hormonal imbalance? Uh, you know, I mean, uh, one, way, one way of looking at it is that all the hormones have a basis of iodine. Mm. And if you're exposed to fluoride, chlorine, or bromine, then that's going to upset your hormones. 
it's, it's too complicated a question really just to say, boom, is this. Yeah. There are many factors controlling that. Well, we're all hormonally unbalanced, really, because that's, that you know, in a general sense, but we're talking about things that really come to a head, that are causing people really you know, noticeable problems, and that really, you know, that would need further investigation for the specific situation. Right. Okay, we're, we're down to the final question, so we'll do a good one on this one. Uh, back to B12 again, Clive. You touched on B12 as a supplement for a person that's a vegetarian, but are there any vegetables that naturally have vitamin B12? Well, um, actually, uh, not many, no. because um, you know, fermenting vegetables will give you some B12. Mm. Uh, but it's a bit of an issue, and most doctors will test your B12 levels. The only problem is, in England, for instance, they say an acceptable level is over 400. You know, that's the number. But many people in the health, natural health world would feel like over 800 would be more like what you want. But there are three types of B12 out there. Cyanocobalamin, which is a fifth of the price of the next one up, which is methylcobalamin. And then there's one more expensive, and that's hydroxycobalamin. And you know, if, you look, if you're taking B12, you want to have a look and see whether it's the cyano version, which is the not bioavailable version. People use that because it's a fifth of the price. So for the unscrupulous vendor of supplements, um, they'll choose cyanocobalamin. No, the chemist will know that it's not really the one you want. But it's a fifth of the price, so, so what sort of thing. So anybody who's got a multi-mineral, a good way to tell whether the manufacturer of the multi-mineral cares or not, this is the, one of the tests I use to judge whether it's good or not, is whether which type of B12 they've chosen. Mm. Have they chosen the more expensive one because they know it works? But my understanding is that a lot of plant sources of B12 just aren't, they're not the right type for the body to absorb. Well, all I know is a lot of people have problems after a while mm. if they're not eating mm. uh, animal produce. So, you know, it, it's... Um, one of those things yeah. and I think as you say what uh, it's probably the insect connection that people mm. are missing because people think it's black and white well eating animals is cruel therefore I won't mm. do it therefore veggie must be fine mm. but if you know I mean I, I go out foraging uh, and I pick things like nettles for example and when you look at the nettles you can't really necessarily see the insect on them but if you put the nettles down on the counter and yeah, shake them yeah, a bit yeah, yeah. hundreds of insects yeah. come off yeah. and I think if we were in the wild and we were Picking, you know, we wouldn't be picking all those bits out. No, we'd just be showing them. And it's like fruit, like figs, for example. It's a classic example wasps nest in fruit. And even when they've gone, they've left a lot of material behind them. It's not like a supermarket pig. Yeah. Mm. Well, this is absolutely true. Mm. So we, um, I've got to get on, actually. So. Mm. I think we finished. No, well, um, that was the last question. So thank you very much for your time, um, Clive and Holly. Thank you for. Um, for um, coming back onto our show, Clive, and thank, it's lovely to meet you, Holly. Um, I've, I've learned a lot, and, and Clive, I've got to thank you for your banana trick, the banana, coconut oil, and uh, cocoa powder, because I've got, I've got three bananas waiting to be processed when I get home. Uh, very good. <laughs> and so thank you for that. Well, good. So anytime you want us back, just call us up. Wonderful. Well, um, that, that will happen, I'm sure, because viewers ask for you back, Clive. And so uh, let me just do shameless advertising. Um, uh, Holly, tell them how they can contact you, your site. Oh, my site is um, edenicstates.com. That's E-D-E-N-I-C-S-T-A-T-E-S.com. 
and that that's my it's a book and education site i've got another food site as well i have to separate them out but that's the site my book's on well i recommend our viewers visit holly's site and um and see what she has to offer and um clive you've mentioned your youtube channel and you've got your own site as well which um, people can um it's very simple is clive and decarl is d-e-c-a-r-l-e clive decarl.com or clive decarl on youtube thank you very much both of you for being on our show um so thank <laughs> thank, thank you our uh, viewers for watching um you've been watching a uh, summer uh, webinar SAMA standing for spooky ask me anything if you'd like to be on our show um, to um, teach our viewers a certain area of your expertise, please drop us a line at uh, SAMA, S-A-M-A, at spooky2-more.com. If you can um, just drop us a short email, just tell us what you'd like to talk about, and we'll contact you and we'll arrange everything for you. So um, thanks once again, everybody, and goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye for now.